If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. You're about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. Hey, it's your Partially Examined Life nightcap, holiday edition, winter edition, recording this on December 12th. How you guys doing? Fantastic. How are you? In the holiday spirit. What does that mean? Well, I to you? <laughs> I was uh, visited by a number of spirits. Three ghosts, at least. <laughs> uh, at least, yeah. I mean, the first one was uh, I couldn't really tell what the, make out what they were trying to say. It looked maybe like somebody that I knew that was dead, maybe somebody that was a guest on this podcast, in fact. But I don't want to bring anybody down by naming names. And they said some stuff I didn't quite understand. I think it was quotes from Hegel. And then more spirits came down, seemed to have a sort of chronological bent to them, but I really, I didn't know what to make it. As an analytic philosopher, if I can't translate what the ghosts have to say into uh, some sort of logical language, I, I, I think it's a bunch of nonsense. You need to bust out some continental philosophy for that? <laughs> Maybe that's the, the three geists. I was visited by three geists. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. You were visited by the ghost of the philosophy of history, the ghost of the philosophy of right, and the ghost of the philosophy of spirit. I like the first two. I think we could have a better, the philosophers of the future, Nietzsche's favorite philosophers. That's us. You thought about that recently? Mm. We're going to spend some time, let's give a new introduction, since we're doing all this Kierkegaard, to our ancient episode, number 29, Kierkegaard on the self. Ah. We discussed the sickness unto death. Mostly a little bit, the fear and trembling. We're actually for our next real discussion going to do fear and trembling properly, but we assigned ourselves the task of re-listening to this old, old episode 2010. Can you believe that's ridiculous? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird to listen to yourself after all that time. Wasn't, I wasn't a fan. I thought Daniel Horn was great though. He was great. Yeah. Except for me. But that you were all great, <laughs> except for me. Okay. Do we have any substantial insights from having just done Kierkegaard now? I know I was poo-pooing the second half of the book, Sickness Unto Death, the stages of despair that, oh, we, those are too boring to go through. I, now I, I'm really curious about that. <laughs> I like stages and I like Kierkegaard's descriptions of stages. <laughs> I like stages. <laughs> now that I'm middle-aged, I like stages. <laughs> Seth looks like he's going to say something profound. I was going to say, I think Mark just likes to be staged. It's, it's not stages. He likes the, uh, the structure, you, the anticipation. I, I do use a number of uh, numbered lists in Slack messages, as you might have noticed. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this kind of goes with my... Uh... <laughs> no, you don't use enough numbered list in Slack messages. Mm. Your Slack messages can be like mini essays that are very hard to consume on a phone 
Okay, so how is this helping people who are about to hear the Kierkegaard episode for the first time? Or <laughs> I don't for the know. first time in who a long said, time. This is a, this is a nightcap. I feel no obligation to help anybody do anything. Well, then, <laughs> it, was, it was part of the task to have listened to that um, episode and to orient people a little bit to that episode as a preamble. So Daniel came on and he was a, a fan. And he had done a lot of reading on it in context. I guess I wasn't on the episode. When I listened to it, I came away wondering more about the Christian aspect of Kierkegaard's philosophy. That's what I found myself thinking about. In reading the Kierkegaard that we've done now, that reading, which I haven't done the reading of, sits right in that faith space right? of trying to figure out, talking about what we do to make our lives, well, Am I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, make our lives understandable or redeemed when I think about it. Given that it was so early in our history, I still definitely had some axes to grind about religious matters. And so on the one hand, we were trying to say, is there and things... you still do. Well, no, I think I've gotten past trying to give Jesus a secular... Team. Well, <laughs> you can see how we can decide how well <laughs> next episode, how well I do how far I've actually come, but I feel like okay. I'm no longer necessarily looking for a secular interpretation of everything and saying, if I can't find a secular interpretation, it's useless. And then also feeling personally offended that when I hear an echo in one of our centuries old writings <laughs> of some sort of contemporary thing that someone has said that has annoyed me. So that when, you know, this whole talk of the God-shaped hole, this is something in my adult life, talk about, you know, yeah, Norm MacDonald, we, uh, who we talked about another nightcap, was sort of doing the same thing, was echoing the same ideas about how everybody that has not found Jesus, has not found religion of some sort, is in despair. They just make something else into their God, this kind of thing. And I've now rehearsed that argument enough times that it no longer burns or something. <laughs> I'm not especially mad at it, as I think I said in our last full Kierkegaard episode, I think that it's probably right that there are dynamics, you know, the things that the Stoics pointed out, that if you pursue pleasure, you're going to find that the pleasures are all temporary. They're all empty. Anything that you find meaning in, you can potentially step away from sometimes and say, what is this all for? You know, so the absurdity of life, as pointed out in a very early Camus episode, is a very keen thing for me. But I don't think that you get over that by jumping to a religious point of view. I think that that Kierkegaard in our more recent reading is probably closer to the mark where just somehow being a serious person and realizing that when those doubts about the logic of what you do with your daily life creep in, not to let them overwhelm you, you know, that you're invested enough in your relationships, in your day-to-day -day work, in your creative activity to say, you know, even if it is all kind of smoke and mirrors, I'm having a good time here. I'm getting something out of it. I think I'm helping other people. Uh, I'm making connections and that makes it enough worthwhile so that, yeah, I don't think a Jesus key necess is necessary or, or sufficient, but I'm no longer angered by the suggestion. I find myself in the past Kierkegaard episodes leading up to it, leading up to fear and trembling and then going back to fear and trembling. And then I guess listening to the, the sickness and the death episode is this idea that, so the God-shaped hole is another way of framing the, the challenge of the closing the gap between the finite and the infinite. 
and having that God-shaped hole really being the absence of the infinite, the absence of our connection to the infinite and understanding our worthlessness or somehow or having that anxiety about it from our mortality or from our lack of connection to the infinite. And I guess I'm going to have to figure out how sensitive I am to that. I don't find it so hard to understand the, the importance of my finite life. I don't feel the pain that Kierkegaard laments, right? So part of me just doesn't get it, why it's the, the avenue of the lament of meaning, the burden of meaninglessness as a result of not being immortal or not extending over eternity or not being connected to the infinite in some direct manner. I get it if you talk about through the avenue of having meaning at all that's motivating. So it's a part of me that 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 I when I maybe it's part of what I find somewhat challenging. No, I guess it's not. I mean, Kierkegaard's and the ethical stuff is sort of just before that. Find meaning in your day to day life; it's there. Well, but still, in the ethical, it's not merely secular ethical the way he is. I, it's I, true. I fully expected it to be, but by talking about, you know, Kant doesn't say that you have to by identifying yourself with the universal, you know, by embracing the categorical imperative, by thinking about the kingdom of ends or any of that stuff that you are making some direct, that you're transcending. So it's this hunger for transcendence. I don't well, see yeah, that but, in Kant. Your hunger for transcendence. I mean, do you think that Kant, I don't feel like Kant's argument for the categorical imperative had to do with giving your life meaning. It had to do with fulfilling your duty. Right. We could figure out philosophically what we ought to be doing. And maybe there's some bit of it. Well, that's part of becoming a full human being. And you want to do that, don't you? But I never felt like Kant was ever in this sort of category of burnish the meaning in your life in a kind of way that makes you orient yourself, that gives you satisfaction and alignment. But that's Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard's doing that. Existentialists do that. Stoics do that. Kant didn't do that. Don't lump we existentialists in with those Stoics. (laughs) Fair enough. I think they have a lot more in common than than, than you're implying, than you're comfortable with admitting. Maybe that's why I don't like them that much. Wes, any subsequent thoughts about other than not liking hearing the sound of your voice about this past episode or where you are at personally with regard to the arguments that Kierkegaard is making in either of these episodes. Well, what are, what are the arguments he's making? <laughs> well, what are, what are the arguments? Why don't we say that for listeners? I can't do it in a concise way. What are, what are the arguments? That in your current state, you're going to feel despair all around you unless you make some sort of jump, whether it is to this ethical point of view via a fundamental change in decision or to a religious point of view which uh, we'll have to see exactly what that involves. Your discontent and despair is fundamentally a result of your not choosing. And your first step should be to choose an ethical life, which will help ameliorate that. But that won't in the end. You need to make the jump to choosing faith. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening. <laughs>